record okay we are as you know getting towards the end of galatians um so if you've got a bible we're going to look at galatians 5 and it's going to come up on the screen and we're going to talk particularly today about what paul talks about now walk with the spirit or keep in step with the spirit and he kind of he repeats this a few times in galatians 5 and uh, i think most of you are now very familiar but obviously paul begins the message really of galatians talking about Hey, listen, some people have come in and effectively have told you that you now need to obey the law. There's a bunch of religious rules that you need to come under to keep you going. And he's talking about, no, 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 faith in Jesus is sufficient for salvation. But then as you go on through Galatians, what he then goes into is, and the role of the spirit is sufficient to help you grow as a Christian. You don't need rules. You don't need to come back under the law to prop you up and hem you in and keep you righteous. And all of this is a gift of grace. So there's this twin message. It's like a twin engine of Galatians. And I think it's effectively the twin engine of living a Christian life is that faith in Jesus is sufficient for you to for your salvation. You add nothing to it. All you bring is your need and your brokenness and your desire to find freedom. And as you live out your life as a Christian, that's full of that's just grace as well, because he gives you the spirit, which, as we'll see, is given to you at salvation and then there's an experience of the empowering of the Spirit that Paul talks about throughout the New Testament. And the Spirit is the key to how we then live it out. And uh, interestingly, I was talking to a friend of mine this week who does a lot of work with churches all across Europe. And he was saying that one of the biggest things that he often finds in evangelical churches, and what, by that I mean Bible-believing churches, is that there is often a strong emphasis on, well, we're very happy to accept that Jesus is sufficient for our salvation, for our forgiveness, to be saved but lots of christians and lots of churches really drift then into actually a very works-based way of living out your salvation it's then about obeying certain rules following certain religious rituals and so we're happy for grace to the point of salvation but we struggle with the idea of grace once you're saved and actually the new testament is very clear the entire thing is a gift of grace and that's paul's big argument here he's saying no 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 you're saved by grace and you are sanctified, as in you grow as a Christian, by grace. It's all a free gift. That's not to say there aren't things we do, but there's nothing we earn. Okay? And there's a difference between doing and discipline and earning. So it's not a, it's not a product of works, but there is a place of discipline. And um, so Galatians is a very powerful and quite emotive uh, subject. And if you read through the new testament i'd encourage you to read paul's epistles particularly and you will find again and again that actually as far as paul is concerned the role and the gift of the holy spirit is utterly fundamental and critical to how you live as a christian and i said last week some of us have grown up in churches that have spoken a lot about that and some of us have grown up in churches which the, the role of the spirit is hardly ever spoken about and that was my history you know he just propped up as the holy ghost in occasionally old hymns as a spooky-like character that I had no idea who that was. But then you read the New Testament, you're like, Paul just keeps going on and on and on about the Holy Spirit, the presence of Jesus with us. And Jesus says, it's better that I go because I'm going to send you another. So that's Jesus' testimony of the Spirit, that his presence amongst us now. And that's obviously why Pentecost is so important, because that's the pouring out of the Spirit, as promised in the Old Testament and prophecies in Joel and elsewhere, pouring out into our hearts and also the experience of an empowering of the spirit so we are a people of the word and we're a people of the spirit both and and in galatians 5 he talks about 
now, he says, now walk with the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. And Galatians 5.22 says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So we live by the Spirit, but he says, no, no, no. Now you have to actively keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, we just want to ask you, thank you for your word. We believe these are your words, inspired by your Spirit, given to the church. To edify, comfort, correct, channel, help us, strengthen us. We want to ask you, as we look at this together, would you, by your Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts, we pray. And say what it is that you want to say to us. Amen. So, the big question I want us to think about today is, how do we do that? So it's all very well saying, now, walk by the Spirit, keep in step by the Spirit. You kind of go, yeah, yeah, okay. But that doesn't answer the question, well, how do I do those things? How do I do that? Now, in many ways, there's a multiple multitude of answers we could give to that question. But before we jump into it, and I've got a few thoughts I want to kind of throw out, I think it's interesting to know that Paul doesn't answer that question, which I think is a bit odd, because in one sense he says, now, walk with the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, but he doesn't actually tell us how to do it. Now, just to say, what I'm going to do is very dangerous theologically, so this is just some thoughts. This is not what I could, because you shouldn't really argue from silence in the Bible, okay? But I'm going to, why, why does he not? Well, this is my kind of like, this is my little theory. I wonder if the reason Paul doesn't go into the details of how do we do it is because Paul considers it such a fundamental part of being a Christian, such a day by day, minute by minute, hour by hour experience he doesn't think it as a compartment of our Christian life. So he just thinks that this is what you do. He doesn't spell it out. So, for example, if I was to ask you the question, how many of you, when you woke up this morning, consciously had to say to yourself, now, remember how to breathe? None of you would have, I suspect, gone through the thought process of re-engaging how to breathe. It just comes naturally. I know there are medical exceptions to that. I know sometimes people do have to learn, but most of the time it's just... It, it's intuitive. We, we learn how to do it because it keeps us alive. And I wonder if for Paul, it is so fundamentally part of being alive as a Christian that he doesn't, he doesn't spell it out. How do we do that? And I guess the first thing I want to say, and I think I've got five or six different thoughts on this issue, how do we do it, is walking with the Spirit is for everyone and involves everything. You know, we often want to think of the Christian life as a compartment of our life. You know, and we like to put things in compartments. So there's my life, and then there's walking with the Spirit. And I think Paul would be saying, no, 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 this is, this is about, this is for everyone, and it involves everything. Okay? So Romans 8, 14, just for those of you who are maybe less clear on this, this is what it says about how you become a Christian. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you received, so you received the spirit at salvation, does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's 
children. In other words, if you're a Christian, you've only become a Christian by the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. He is already active in your life. Now that is super important for lots of reasons. Partly it's just super important to acknowledge he has done something in me. It wasn't my, yes, I responded to him, but actually he brought me alive. The Spirit has been given to everyone. But it's also super important because sometimes we can think of the Holy Spirit as some kind of higher ideal that some of us kind of you know, lean into, almost you know, reach to, and others of us don't. And if we think like that, if we think of knowing the Spirit as something higher that only some of us really know and others of us don't really know, so when you meet Wendy next week, you're, gonna, you're probably going to meet someone and you think, oh, she really walks by the Spirit. But what she does is no different from what you and I can do. Okay? The Spirit is given to everyone. He's not given to some and not others. The Spirit is not some kind of higher thing that some of us attain to and others of us don't. That's a very Gnostic, kind of ancient Greek way of thinking. There's this kind of ladder of spirituality that some of us get there and some of us don't. That was a very Greek way of thinking. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. The Spirit's given to everyone. Romans 8 tells us, all of you, if you're a Christian, were born again by the Spirit. He's been given to you. It's super important to think like that because if we think like that, what we're really saying is even the experience of the Spirit is something we earn or something we, don't, we disqualify ourselves from. So if we think of the Holy Spirit as someone that some of us can get to know and some of us can operate at that kind of level of spirituality, but some of us don't, what we're really saying behind it is the gift of the Spirit is not a gift of grace. He is someone we earn. You understand? So we immediately turn something which is a gift into a work. But actually the gift of the Spirit is to everybody. All of us have been given the gift of the Spirit. And Paul uses this phrase, walk by the Spirit. And that was a phrase in Judaism which basically refers to your entire life. It was a very familiar phrase in those writings at that time. So when they talked about walking with God or walking by the Spirit, he's using a phrase colloquially that would have been familiar and it refers not to an aspect but to your entire life live your life now with him is what it's saying walk every day with him he is not a component of your life i must spend a bit of time with the holy spirit no no we go to work with the spirit we go to sleep we parent our kids with the spirit we go out with friends that everything now is involved with him that's what it's saying, because you carry him with you. He's with you in your heart. He's been, you've been born again by the Spirit. John Ortberg touches on this very issue when he writes this uh, in one of his books. Too often, people think about their spiritual lives as just one more aspect of their existence, alongside and largely separate from their financial lives or their vocational lives. Periodically, they may try to get their spiritual lives together, by praying more regularly or by trying to master another spiritual discipline. It is the religious equivalent of going on a diet and trying to stick to a budget. The truth is that the term spiritual life is simply a way of referring to one's life. Every moment and facet of it from God's perspective. Another way of saying this is God is not interested in your spiritual life. God is just interested in your life and he intends to redeem it. I love that. So, when he talks about walking by the Spirit, he's talking about something for everyone, not something you earn, not something you disqualify yourself from, just a gift to everybody, and he's talking about 
everything. Okay? But it is something that we learn to do. So, I don't know if you're familiar with Rick Warren. How many of you are familiar with Rick Warren? I like Rick Warren's stuff. I think he's a pretty great guy. But he, when you listen to him preach, he always has these little sayings, which as a British person, I always find slightly like... Yeah, British, British people find those things a little bit. But I, I did come up with a bit of a Rick Warren phrase, I want you to know, which I think Rick would have been very proud of. So it's not something you earn, but it is something you learn, which I thought was a total Rick Warren pr- phrase, right? Yeah, I know. I think he would be very, very proud of me. So how do we learn to walk with the Spirit? Okay, here's the second thing. Walking with the Spirit is a positive engagement with the Spirit rather than a spirituality where we try to resist and deny things. Okay? Now, what I mean by that is that in lots of forms of spirituality, and I would say often in the church as well, we pick up that a big part of living as a Christian is about resisting and saying no. Okay? Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. There's not, it's not that there's not a place to resist and say no. But... What often happens in churches is the major message you hear about sanctification, growing as a Christian, is about saying no, resisting, standing firm, say no. It's, it's basically aestheticism. It's I deny myself. Whereas it's like resist, resist, resist. Don't touch, don't do this, don't taste that. I must try harder, I must say no. It's a grit your teeth kind of spirituality. And it means that when we fail and we fall short, which we all do, we tend to blame ourselves on not praying enough, not trying hard enough, not having enough faith, and not having enough willpower. And there's this strong emphasis in churches often about the way to grow as a Christian is to resist. Okay. Now, let me tell you something about willpower. If you've ever read any studies on willpower, willpower is something that's like a muscle. In other words, the more you use it, the more it gets depleted. So, I don't know if you've ever read any tog, uh, toad and frog stories. Anybody familiar with any of those? Let me read you a toad and frog story, because I think in here there is a great teaching on the issue of willpower. So, this is the story. It's not a true story, obviously, because it involves a toad and a frog speaking to each other. But anyway, <laughs> toad baked some cookies. These cookies smell very good, said toad, and he ate one. And they taste even better, he said. Toad ran to frog's house. Frog, frog, cried toad, taste these cookies that I have made. Frog ate one of the cookies. These are the best cookies I've ever eaten, said Frog. I'm just reading the story. Frog and Toad ate many cookies, one after another. You know, Toad, said Frog, with his mouth full. I think we should stop eating. We will soon be sick. You are right, said Toad. Let us eat one last cookie, and then we will stop. Frog and Toad ate one last cookie. There were many cookies left in the bowl. Frog, said Toad. Let us eat one very last cookie... And then we will stop. Frog and Toad both ate one very last cookie. We must stop eating, cried Toad as he ate another. Yes, said Frog, reaching for the cookie. We need willpower. (laughs) What is willpower, asked Toad. Willpower is trying hard not to do something you really want to do, said Frog. You mean like trying hard not to eat all these cookies, asked Toad. Right, said Frog. Frog put the cookies in a box. There, he said. Now we will not eat any more cookies. But we can open the box, said Toad. That is true, said Frog. Frog tied some string around the box. There, he said, now we will not eat any more cookies. But we could cut the string and open the box, said Toad. That is true, said Frog. So Frog got a ladder. He put the box up on a high shelf. There, said Frog, now we will not eat any more cookies. But we could climb the ladder, take the box down from the shelf, cut the string and open the box, said Toad. That is true, said Frog. Frog climbed the ladder, took the box down from the shelf. He cut the string and opened the box. 
Frog took the box outside. He shouted in a loud voice, Birds, here are the cookies. Birds came from everywhere. They picked up all the cookies in their beaks and flew away. Now we have no more cookies to eat, said Toad sadly. Not even one. Yes, said Frog, but we have lots and lots of willpower. Uh, You may keep it all, Frog, said Toad. I'm going home now to bake a cake. (laughs) So the point of the story is, and I think most of our experiences, simply trying to to depend on and reach into willpower in and of itself is not sufficiently empowering to change habits in our lives. How many of you have gone, I'm not going to do that, or I am going to do that? And day one is fine, day two is fine, maybe, but by day three, yeah, you're, you're getting, it's getting depleted, right? And your will, hey, oh, forget it. Yeah? As we were saying to, I was saying to Mark yesterday, when it comes to not eating food, I can resist food pretty well until people put it in front of me. And then I'm like, oh, it'd be rude not to, and I'm in. Okay? When Paul talks about growing as a Christian and living as a Christian, His primary message, so I'm not saying there's not a place for willpower or a place for discipline, but his primary message is not about resistance. It is about replacing that desire with a greater desire. It is about engaging with the Spirit. And he says, listen, if you will engage and walk with the Spirit positively, everything else flows from there. Okay, so Galatians 5 verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit and what will happen? You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He doesn't say, resist the desires of the flesh, and then you can have the spirit. He's saying, no, no, no. Walk by the spirit, and you will not gratify. That's the way round it is. And often in churches, we go this way. We go, resist, 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 and then you can have the good stuff. Right? But actually what he's saying is, no, no, no. Positively engage with the spirit. Right? And he will lead you into righteousness. Okay? It's interesting, I haven't got time to go into it, but if you've ever read any of John Piper's material, he focuses highly on this, not so much as a, as a part of the spirit, but he talks a lot about if you're going to fight with sin okay, and resist sin, the way to resist sin is not simply to resist it, you have to replace it. And he says, look, the way to, we sin because it appears to promise us something. Right? We, we, we get into that behavior because it appears to promise us something that we want. And he says, the way you resist sin is not by going, no, no, no. The way you do it is you replace it with something better. And he talks a lot about the promises of God and how the promises of God promise us something better than the promises of sin. So we don't just resist, we replace. And I want to say to you, I think that's a very, very important principle when it comes to growth as a Christian. That if you base your growth on a Christian simply as now I must resist I think what you're going to find is you spend a lot of time feeling guilty. You're going to find a lot of time beating yourself up. You're going to find a lot of time you're failing because it's just, it's all about me again. It's all about my willpower. Whereas New Testament is, no, 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 you can't do this on your own. You have to engage with him. You have the spirit of God in you. Now engage with the life he's put in you and he will lead you into life, which may involve resisting, but you're resisting from a completely different place. So there's an order. Number three, when it comes to walking with the Spirit, I think very simply this, we have to learn to expect the Spirit to be present and active in our lives. 
Now, I say that because we live in a world which wants to tell us all the time that the only thing that's real is what you can see and touch. Yeah? So the physical world is real, but the spiritual world is more metaphorical. That's the world we live in. Okay? And you are bombarded with that message every day, and so am I. And our brains are shaped, and our thinking is shaped to think, yeah, physically it's real, but spiritually, well, it's a bit... And the Bible is saying again and again, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> it's just not... That's not how it is at all. Yes, the physical world's real, but the spirit is just as real and active, even if you can't see him. And it seems to me that fostering this view of understanding and appreciating that he is here right now is super important. He's given to everyone, and it's for everything. But learning to live in the good of the fact that that's true is one of the keys. So when I get up tomorrow, when you get up and you go to work, or whatever it is you do, you go and see friends, you do that with him. And you learn to remind yourself that he's here right now. So let me give you a silly story. Some of it was not a silly story, it's a great story. Some of you have already heard this story, I'm afraid, but forgive me. But uh, a couple, two or three months ago, Sarah and I were talking about the fact that we didn't have anyone to look after our dog. And... Um, and so it just changes things when you want to go on holiday, because like, oh, how does that work? So I asked a few different people how. And it's quite a struggle when you've moved country and you've kind of left family members or friends who are happy to do those things, and you have to find new places, new people. And it, it was like, I don't know how we're going to do this. Like, how are we going to, like, I'm not sure. I couldn't find someone. It didn't seem to fit. And so I did this thing, which I should have done at the start of the process, and I decided to pray. And I literally said, God, I really need a solution with the dog. Like, it was just such a... Please, please help me about the dog, right? That's what I prayed. Because the Spirit's for everyone and everything. So that's what I prayed. And I literally felt this little voice inside me say, ask one of the dog walkers. So I was like, that's a good idea. So the next day I go for a walk near our house. And as I'm walking down the track, this guy comes towards me. And I recognize him because he lives just kind of like near our house. And he has a dog. It's a good job. He has a job because it would have been a bit weird conversation. But I was like, hey, do you mind if I chat? You know, I stopped him and we hadn't talked before. And I said, do you mind if I asked you with your dog, do you have someone who looks after your dog if you go on holiday? And he said, that's really interesting you ask that because I've literally met this lady in the last kind of like three or four weeks and she lives about a kilometer down the road and she looks after dogs and I can give you her number. In fact, why don't I ring her? and let her know, and I'll give you her number so she's expecting you to call. And so he rang her and set it up for me, and then I rang her, and then I went and took our dog there, and, and now we have this lady, amazing lady, who lives about 50 minutes walk from our house, who's happy to look after our dog whenever we want to drop it off in the holidays or whatever. And, and in one sense, you kind of go, that's a bit of a, it feels like, well, you know, is that just a coincidence? Well, maybe. But it was interesting that I prayed, and I felt God say, ask one of the dog walkers. And I just feel like, do you know what? I need to learn to interact with him far more than I do. He's interested in every part of our lives. And again, next weekend, for those of you who are going to meet Wendy, what you're going to meet is someone who is leaning into this sense of God is interested in every part of your life. And he's active. And he's, it's not a component of your life. It's not, here's my spiritual life and here's the rest of my life. It's like, no, no, no. This is about your entire life of learning to walk with him. OK? 
Okay? And if you read the New Testament, you'll discover the New Testament absolutely says that. Hi. No. Speaking, I just have this real sense <coughs> when he says the Holy Spirit is for everyone. You may have been in a church where it's like the Holy Spirit is for the pastor, they're the ones that hear God, they're, they hear God for me and for the congregation. And I think there is obviously a place for a leader in a church, but it, the Bible doesn't say that's how this works. It says that we all have the Holy Spirit, we all hear and walk by the Spirit. And so, if there's a that's a question that's going around your head, I just feel like that's like, no, the Holy Spirit is for every one of us to hear and to walk according to the Spirit. So. Great. Okay, I've got three more. I'm going to go through them pretty quick. Walking with the Spirit. Here's number four. Walking with the Spirit requires coming home to Him frequently. Okay? So left to myself, and I suspect you're the same, I will just drift off into my own life. I will live a very, if you like, un- Un, if this is a phrase, un-God conscious life. Does that make sense? A very consumed with my own thing kind of life. And just because my heart drifts off every day, it will just drift off looking after other things, getting consumed with my own world, thinking about myself too much. And walking with the Spirit therefore requires me coming home to Him again and again and again and again because I need to come back to Him, I need to receive from Him, I need to, Him to remind me who He is who I am, what we're doing here, what my life's about. I need him to feed me, redirect me. And that's what happens when I stop. That's what happens when I pray. That's what happens when I read the Bible. And one of the struggles we read in the Bible for many of us is, or praying for many of us is, again, we have it in the wrong place. We think we almost intuitively start to think of reading the Bible or praying as a way of point scoring with God. If I do this, he'll be happier with me. If he's happier with me, he'll bless me. It has absolutely nothing to do with whether God is going to bless you or, or be happy with you. Okay? It has everything to do with feeding my soul and giving to me and helping me. Yeah? So we often think about praying and reading the Bible like as a table over there. And we think of it as, hey, I'm going to bring my, my contribution. I'm going to put it on the table, put it on the altar. And if I bring enough onto the altar, God will be happy with me. But actually reading the Bible and praying is about coming to the altar or coming to his table and feeding because he's already laid it. Not me. I don't lay anything on it. I just come and receive again. So when I read the Bible and I pray, I'm just coming to receive. I am never coming to score points or earn anything. So I could not read my Bible for the next month and it would make no difference whatsoever to how God feels about me. None at all. But But it does make every difference in terms of how I feel about him. Right? And we get it the wrong way round. We think, if I read my Bible, it changes how he feels about me. It doesn't change. (laughs) Because it's already happened. Yeah, It's already been done. When he looks at you, he sees you clothed in Jesus' righteousness. So you're already a son and an adopted and an heir. You're in the family. So it makes no difference whatsoever to God whether I read my Bible in terms of how he feels about me. But it makes every difference in terms of how I feel about him, whether I'm receiving for him, him whether, I'm, whether I am accessing what he has for me or not. So it is really important. It just doesn't earn you anything. It's just another way of receiving. I'm sure you know that. But the truth is, do we believe it? 
Okay. Number five. Quickly, this, is a, this could be a whole series, just this one alone. Walking with the Spirit involving, involves using the tools he has given us. Okay? And I want to just mention two. And I suspect Wendy might talk about these a little bit next weekend. Two of the tools he gives us is one is confession and one is forgiveness. So Jesus is very clear, isn't it? You know, he talks in the Lord's Prayer about confessing your sins and forgiving people. Repent and forgive. And those are two critical tools that he has given us through the Spirit in terms of how to stay spiritually healthy and how to walk with him. Ephesians says that it's possible to grieve the Spirit. Yeah? So it's possible to make the Spirit sad. Doesn't change how he feels about us, but it is possible to make him sad. I love my kids, all of them. But it is possible for them to make me sad. But it doesn't mean I don't love them. It doesn't mean I don't accept them. It doesn't mean they're not my kids anymore. Okay? But they, are, they can grieve me. Okay? And confession is one of the keys to be able to walk close to the Spirit. And forgiveness in terms of forgiving other people is one of the keys to be able to walk close to the Spirit. Now, that's a huge uh, subject, but I'm going to move on. But there, it's like it allows God to do spiritual surgery on our hearts. Right? It's a gift to us. Forgiveness, we kind of think, really, do I really have to forgive them? But if you don't forgive them, the truth is you're the one who's going to be bound up. And forgiveness is a gift to you to get free. It's like spiritual surgery to make you well. Here's the last one. Walking with the Spirit is always a team sport. It's always a team sport. As you know, we live in a culture in the West which just focuses again and again and again on the centrality of the individual. It's all about us individually. It's about our needs. It's about how it works for me. And all of us, well, particularly those of us who've grown up in the West, read the Bible through that lens. What, is, what does the Spirit do in my life? How do I do it? What is it about me? Now, Paul is talking to individuals, but primarily, often, he's talking to a church. So when it says be filled with the Spirit, most time he's talking to the entire church, not just individuals. I think it's true for individuals as well, absolutely. But often he's talking to the church. The fruit of the Spirit, like I said last week, is talking to the church, not simply individuals. And if you want to walk close to the Spirit, then you need to walk closely to one another. That's why Sundays are so important. That's why groups are so important. That's why friendship is so important. Because... Individual growth is always a community project. It's always a team sport. Always, always, always. I think what I'd like to do now is I'd just like to stop and we're going to pray. Is that okay? So 